no lie to you. I almost maxed out a credit card buying something completely unnecessary in Tiffany because I thought I can't buy that, but maybe I could afford a little two thousand dollars something. Maybe I can't buy because I had anchored on that big number. Mm -hmm. If you anchor to a small number, to a small problem, to a small budget, then that's what you will get. And that's what your clients will do too. You mm, wanna get your clients good. anchored to a big number, maybe like the expensiveness of their problem. You're listening to the Move to Millions podcast with Dr. Darnielle J. Harmon. If you're ready for high-level conversations that position and prepare you to move your company, cash flow and connection to and beyond the million dollar mark, let's get this party started. This episode is powered by the Move to Millions Method. Wondering what it's going to take to make the move to a million dollars in your business? Learn now by visiting movetomillionsguide.com. In today's episode, I sit down with my client, Natalie Bullen. Okay, first of all, we just have such an amazing conversation talking about pricing and pricing yourself into poverty. O-M-G. Let me just take a quick moment and read Natalie's bio. Such a powerful, powerful woman. Natalie Bullen is a wealth and money mindset coach from Mobile, Alabama. As the owner of Unapologetic Wealth, LLC, she teaches financial literacy, money mindset work, and sales training for ambitious female service-based entrepreneurs so that they can step into the wealth that they deserve and desire. She is also a flat fee financial planner who shuns traditional personal finance values rooted in shame, guilt, and fear and encourages followers to dream bigger, increase their prices, and magnify their gifts. Natalie's best gift is her voice, and she uses it to speak plainly and boldly about wealth creation, especially for communities of color. Listen to me. We just had one of the most spirited conversations I think I've ever had on the podcast Money is one of the things you know about me. I love to talk about it every chance that I get because we have to normalize it. It still has such a terrible stigma because of the trauma that we have experienced around money. Specifically today, while we did talk some about money mindset, we also talked about pricing. So I want you to grab pen and paper and join me for my conversation with Natalie Bullen. Welcome to the Move to Millions podcast, Natalie. I'm so happy to have you here. I am elated. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, this is going to be such a good conversation. I already know. So before we jump in, just take a quick moment and tell everybody who you are in your own words. I am Natalie Bullen. I own Unapologetic Wealth, a coaching firm that helps women, ambitious, service-based entrepreneurs step into the wealth they deserve and desire, get visible so they can get paid, increase their prices, and live the life that they deserve. For me, that's going to be a life of rest and ease. <laughs> but whatever your dream life looks like, it takes more money to get there. I guarantee it. Oh my gosh. Like already, I'm like writing notes. So I want to just stop at the name of your company for a second. Can we just talk about unapologetic wealth? Like, how did you come up with that name? Where does it come from? And then are you unapologetic about your wealth? You know, I wish it was a sexier story. <laughs> I struggled. I wanted the company to be named Meticulous Money. Mm -hmm. And everyone hated it. My mom said, no one's going to be able to spell that, darling. They aren't that smart. And I wanted something money mm -hmm. or something wealth. And I went through thousands of acronyms, powerful wealth, challenging wealth, exceptional wealth. It was either taken. It was cumbersome. I cried. This mm -hmm. got delayed two months on a name. <laughs> and I went to sleep one night and I was like, this is it. Tomorrow I'm naming the business. Tomorrow I'm naming the business. I'm, it's going to happen. And someone sent me a DM because I was still in my 42 DM outreach. Mm -hmm. Another story might get to. And someone wrote, you know, I heard you on Clubhouse and I loved how you were so unapologetic about wanting to make a lot of money. You don't hear people say, mm -hmm. I want to be rich. And I don't care how people feel about it. And I was like, that's it. Yeah. It's unapologetic. Well, I was like, sis, I'm sending you a care package. And so I named it. 
And there and the you rest are. is history, right? The rest it, is history. I think what I love about it is everything that the person said in your DMs, but wealth is unapologetic. Like it's the definition of wealth. I mean, no, we could go all the way back to the whatever century definition that talks about health and well-being. My good friend Patrice Washington, she talks about that all the time on her podcast, Redefining Wealth. Shout out Patrice. We could go all the way back to health and well-being as a part of wealth because wealth isn't just money. No. But no matter what wealth is, it is absolutely unapologetic. Like if you're afraid to have the money, if you're afraid to stand in the posture of having the money, you're not going to have it because your actions are always going to follow your beliefs. So there's no way that it's going to be possible for you. So I feel like it's an omen of sorts for people that they have the possibility to step into that unapologeticness. I know I might've just made up a word right there, but they're, <laughs> but they're able to step in and learn how to become unapologetic. Like I literally just did a VIP day at the time of this recording this past week. And the client was a multiple million dollar business. His business had done $2 million desiring to go to 10 million. And so we charted that whole thing out. And one of the questions he asked me, because he's not yet there with being as vocal as he said I was about my wealth, right? So we're sitting down, we're having the conversation. I was like, listen, I've been a millionaire since I was in my 30s. I got into some really great stocks really, really early. I always tell people I had Microsoft at 99. Like I've had it since then. Like I had Amazon when it was $258 a share. I had Amazon. And I was like, of course, I don't walk around the street with a megaphone broadcasting that. However, I don't have a problem with it. And so he was just like, I'm not there yet. Like, what do I do if I'm not ready to talk about what I've earned? And I said, well, we got to deal with the story mm -hmm. behind it. And so that's my first question to you, I think, is like when you're dealing with clients, so they come to you, unapologetic wealth, it sounds really cool. It sounds really cute. Yeah. It sounds like something I should want. Yeah. But they're the farthest thing from being unapologetic. Like for my listeners that are tuning in now that could get excited about what it could look like for them to be unapologetic about their wealth. Like walk us through the process. How do we get a person to the point where them being unapologetic is the way that they show up in every way as it pertains to their money? It's all in mindset. And I think the biggest click for me was that mindset is greater than skill set. Mm -hmm, that's now, good. How I grew up, skill was everything. Having degrees, being articulate, being well-spoken, being polite, being punctual to work. These are the things that I was taught were going to make the difference and were going to earn me more money. That's what got drilled into me. It's what you know. Natalie, go to college. No one can take your education from you. There was always all this talk. And so my whole life, I just built up skills, mm -hmm. skills and skills and skills and degrees and degrees and certifications and hundreds. I have over 300 credit hours of college credits. I mean, wow. I, my transcript is a novel. <laughs> it looks like I was trying to just sample every department. Like I just didn't want to leave. Like I had separation anxiety. That's how my transcript, because that was the story I was taught. Yeah. But work doesn't equal wealth. You'll never work your way into wealth. And that's not something that was told to me. It was years into working that I finally realized I'm on a hamster wheel. This isn't ever getting better. My bank account is not going up. I'm at an income plateau. I've worked this job for years. And what did everybody say? Oh, just go get a new job. So I did. Every five to seven years, I would cycle and get a new job at a new company. And the same thing would keep happening. I would keep having an income plateau. I would keep working my butt off. I'd keep going back to college. Mm -hmm. And I would keep thinking to myself, why is this not working? Why is everybody making a six-figure bonus? I'm the only person that ain't left a six-figure job. You did. I ain't never left a six-figure job. I never had one to leave. Yeah. What am I doing wrong? And then you start beating yourself up. Mm -hmm. Then you're like, damn, I'm so smart. Why am I not further ahead? What does everybody know that I don't know? Right. And so if you really want to get wealthy, you got to do two things. One, you got to detach how you feel about yourself from how other people feel about you. Mm. those have to be whole different continents that has to be the furthest thing from your mind and the best thing my mom could teach me was that others opinions don't matter what she actually said was if they don't pay your bills their opinions don't matter <laughs> that's that true was her mama's right go ahead Annie mama's right mama's that was right. her line of demarcation was <laughs> unless they care enough about you 
to write a check, pay your Alabama power, something like that, then their opinion doesn't matter. And so many of us, we don't have, not because we don't want, but because we're worried about what somebody else will think about us if we do have. That part right there. Let's stop for a second before we go on to the second thing. Mm-hmm. You said so much and you were just kind of going and I didn't really want to stop you, but I want to pull back on a few things that you said. I think this is the perfect place to do that. Work does not equal wealth. You won't work yourself into wealth. But wait a minute, Natalie, because my dad told me that I had to work hard in order to make money. You mean to tell me that all the hustling and grinding and the FaceTime, like I remember when I was in corporate America and I would leave, like when I became a manager, you know, when you're a regular employee, it don't matter. But when you're managing the efforts of others, like they expect you to stay there for a while. Like you're... 12, 14, 16 hour days are like commonplace. It's what you're supposed to do. You got to put in FaceTime. So I was doing it because that's what I was supposed to do. But then I got a whiff of the fact that I shouldn't have to do that. And I stopped and I realized that everyone around me thought the same thing. And so when you just said a minute ago, the first thing that we have to do is we have to detach from the way we see ourselves, what we think about ourselves versus what everybody else thinks. Because I found myself FaceTiming because I was concerned about what my peers might say. Like once I started getting promoted, I got promoted like every nine months. Right. And I know they thought I was sleeping with someone for the record. I was not, (laughs) but I know that's what they thought because it wasn't possible that a Brown girl from the projects of women's in Delaware could just be smarter, more agile, more flexible. And as you talked about all them skill sets, picking up skill sets to be able to get to the next level inside of her career. And I was so inundated with what people thought about me that to your point, I really do think, although I did leave at six figures, my income was impacted because I was so concerned about what other people thought about me. So it sounds really good to say we got to detach, right? What does that look like? What are the steps? How do I start the process of detaching? Because my whole life has been about keeping up with the Joneses, getting away from the Jones. Like that's what my whole life, that's all I've seen. My dad frustrated and pissed off because my neighbor has something that he wants and therefore something he's evil. Everything is about how someone else is going to perceive whatever's happening in my life experience. So how do I detach? And then we'll move into the second thing. I would tell that person to first maybe write out what is the story I believe got to go to the story. So it sounds like the story that this person believes, maybe you believed at a time, maybe I believed at one time, is that I will be harmed if public perception of me is poor. Something bad might happen if people think poorly of me. So in your instance, if you did leave work to go spend time with your husband instead of working unpaid overtime since your salary, If you left work at 5.30 instead of 7.30 at night, would that have impacted your ability to get promoted again? Would it have impacted how people network with you? Would people gossip? Would they rumor? Would they cut your pay? Would they fire you? There's probably a fear response involved in whatever this story is that you told yourself. So I would figure out this story and then I would set apart upon disproving it. And you need to find examples of people who are disproving your theory. So I read the census every 10 years. And when I was a child, I read the 1990 census. It had already occurred. I was born in 88. And then I read the 2000 census when I was 12. And the census basically told me that all black people were poor. I mean, those aren't the words that they use. But if you saw the numbers, that's what you would ascertain. So I spent most of my life thinking that black people were poor and that that was normal and that that was what we were supposed to be. And that if I married a black man, that we'd be poor together, that he wouldn't be able to support me or or provide for me. I would have to marry outside of my race if I wanted to have financial stability because black people just didn't have it. And we were going to marry together and struggle together. And our children were going to go to whatever public school we could afford to put them in, bless their hearts and eat what we could do. We were going to work really hard. We're going to do the best we can. We're going to Hope we had enough strength to bathe and do a little homework. We weren't going to be able to pay for a tutor. I don't want to live in that life, Natalie. I got to no, cut you off because somebody just, that's somebody's that's depressed. Life. Right, right. Oh, no, I get it. So right. That's what I had to do. I had to disrupt that story and say, no, mm-hmm. black people are millionaires. Mm-hmm. Black people can be millionaires. And then I met people like you. I went out my way to find people to disprove my theory. That black people are poor, that we have to be poor, that there's something 
about us that attracts poverty. No, it's not. That's a lie from the pit of hell. No, it is not. It's not true. And I'm going to prove that it's not true. So now, guess what my new story is? So now you got evidence, right? And so once you have evidence, now... Now you have to change. Logically, you must change your viewpoint. It's the scientific method. What's your theory? What do scientists do? They prove and disprove. Right. It becomes a hypothesis. They prove and disprove. And if they can't disprove it, eventually it moves into scientific law, like gravity. They right. can never disprove it. Now it is law. It Did is you so, know that right. still studies on gravity? No, I didn't know that. There are still people trying to ensure that they got gravity right. <laughs> I'm not making it up. Like, no, I believe you. I, I believe you. There are still grant dollars allocated towards ensuring that gravity is the force that we think it is. So don't ever stop exploring your new truth. Yeah. Make sure that you continue to surround yourself with people who disprove that story. So if you got a story that tells you that what other people think about you is helping you in some way, start disproving it. Start thinking about all the times that other people's opinions hurt you, cost you money, made you feel bad. They gossiped about you. They lied on you. They got you tangled up in some mess. They made you feel bad about yourself. Comparison is the thief of joy. Write down all the things other people's opinions have done to you. I got a long list and it's ugly. So <laughs> yeah, I, I love really all of that. I think it's really, really good because you have to learn the skill of detachment from everything. Because even as business owners, and we're going to get into talking about pricing because I still want to go back to the second thing you have to do if you want to be unapologetic about your wealth. But then I want to parlay into pricing and how all of this mindset and this detachment or even attachment is part of the reason why people are undercharging because it is essential as for the people who listen to this podcast that have a desire to get their business to and beyond the million dollar mark to realize that it is really not only tied to the six inches in between their ear, but the habits and behaviors that they're following on a consistent basis. So before we jump into pricing and wealth affects the entrepreneur and small business owner, let's journey back. You said there were two things we needed to do. The first thing you said was detach from how you feel about yourself and you're concerned about how others others see you. you. Mm -hmm. So what's the second thing? You need to detach your self-worth from your net worth. Mm. Okay. Break it down. Intuitive if you want to have money, but if you have decided that money has a value other than what you can purchase with it. Mm-hmm. Like money is a byproduct. Let's think about ideas. You have an idea. It's in your mind. It ruminates with your values, your beliefs, your gifts, your talents, and you create something, a program, a project, a course, a, a good, a service, and then you sell it. What's the very last thing that you get? Money. Mm-hmm. That is the last thing. That's the byproduct of all of the things that led up to it. So your real value is in your problem solving. Your value is in your ideas. Your value is in your beliefs. That's what you need to say. That's who makes me. I'm not Natalie, the thousandaire. You're not Dr. Darnielle, the millionaire. You are the summation of your characteristics, your beliefs, your values, your ideas, your thoughts. So if you only see your value as a dollar amount, Well, that's very volatile. That's like the stock market, because that means when you're wealthy, you feel good about yourself, potentially. And when you broke, you feel bad. But I was a bad thing, even when I was poor. Believe that. Yeah, I was in bankruptcy court and I was still amazing. (laughs) And I had to feel that. My net worth was negative because of student loans. That didn't make me a bad business owner. It didn't make me a bad salesperson. It doesn't make me a bad wife. But a lot of us are so attached to our financial mistakes. And Natalie, you don't understand. I've never had a lot of money and I've made so many mistakes. If all you think about is your financial mistakes, again, a story, if you've told yourself the story, if you bought into the story, then you're bad with money. Why would money come to you? Right. Absolutely. If you bought into the story that your net worth is negative and that means you're a stupid person, why would money come to you? Yeah, that's good. Like even last night, my husband and I were watching Margin Call, which is a movie from like 2011. It's like just before the market crashed in 08. Gotcha. And the person who owned it, I'm gonna, I think he's the CEO, although they never talked about his title, but I think he was the big guy. Yeah. He's sitting at the table with Kevin Spacey at the end after they had unloaded all of their bad debts yeah. for like pennies on the dollar, but still came out with billions. Yeah, He's sitting at the table and he's eating and he's like, it's just money. 
like flip it and yeah. it's just an energy like what i've come to believe i did not growing up thinking it's just money right i know today that money takes on whatever energy you give it and most of us our pricing is off because of the way we see ourselves and if you don't see yourself as like you said your self-worth not being equal to your net worth then you're going to struggle around money but it is just an energy that takes on whatever you say so if you say i'm bad with money and i don't ever have any money then you'll be bad with money and you'll never have any but if you say money is available to me every time i want it then yeah. money will be available to you anytime you, you want it like you, you want need it. to decide that based on the way that you see yourself. And so all of that parlays into your pricing. I'm not sure what your story was before we connected and we didn't talk about this, but Natalie is actually a client of mine, but I will talk about myself and then I would love for you to talk about yeah. yourself. Like when I first started my business, I came out into entrepreneurship 2007. I charged $97 an hour, seven because everybody was putting sevens on the end. I mean, they're still putting sevens on the end, although we have very few things that have a seven now. Yeah. Because when you're marketing to an affluent client, you need a zero. But okay, that's probably a whole nother podcast episode. So I was charging $97 an hour because that sounded like a lot. Because when I was in corporate America, my hourly rate was like 70 some dollars an hour or whatever. Like if I was paid by the hour, but I wasn't, I had a salary. So $100 sounded like a lot of money, except when you're self-employed, you've got your self-employment tax, which is 15%, right? You've got all of the things that were absorbed <laughs> are no longer absorbed. They're your sole responsibility. And you realize quickly that that $100, once everything gets backed out of it, is really less than you made when you were working in corporate America. But we don't know that because you know, I was employee-minded trying to be an entrepreneur without really realizing the impact of my pricing was going to have in my ability to get to the next level. And it stifled me. I mean, I ended up filing bankruptcy, going back to work, to avoid living in my car because I was right on the edge of living in my car. And I took a job, any job, a low paying job, just enough to pay my car payment, my mortgage and my cell phone. Now, everything else it had to go into bankruptcy because there was just not enough money, right? There was no flossing. There was no popping bottles. There was no making it rain. There were none of the things that even though I can do them today, I still don't do it. Like I'm not a big flashy person like i want to drive a nice car i want to live in a nice place i want to take amazing vacations and fly first class like that's it right but all of that all of my backstory and many of the things that we talked about already hindered my pricing and it was the reason why i ended up filing bankruptcy i have this one story i'm going to tell and then i want to hear your story i remember when i first became an entrepreneur well it was early and i had gotten someone was interested in hiring me like i had wrote some copy and they contacted me and it was for a speaking engagement. And I told him my fee was $500. He wanted me to speak for 30 minutes. And I told him my fee was $500. That sounded like a lot to me. Because I don't know nobody making $500 in 30 minutes unless they swing it on a pole. So I'm like, this is a lot of money. Except for I didn't get the job. Because he hired someone who charged $5,000. And I was crushed. Because I didn't understand money as it pertained to pricing. So first, I want to hear your story about when you first started your business and what you were charging. And then I also want you to share like how you flipped it. How did you start to see the correlation between the way you price yourself and the way you see yourself? And how did that help to get you to the point where now you have a six-figure business and were able to walk away from your full-time job and all of that good stuff? Yeah, you know what? <laughs> Mine was probably more practical. I got some really good advice early on, and that was to price yourself out of headaches. So if I sold something at a price and that client was a headache, I raised that price. I would say, you know what? That's it. So if I sold this for a thousand and that one was a nightmare, ain't no more thousand. <laughs> if, you know, the game shows where you guess. Mm -hmm. The numbers, how we, who wants to be a millionaire? You guess the case, the case get put off the shelf. That's what happened with me because in the beginning I was doing workshops and I got burnt out. Mm -hmm. I could get people to come maybe once, twice, but every month, every other month, trying to get people to show up to these workshops, trying to pick a date people would come to. They had the kids, they had vacations. You do it during the week. They got to work. You do it on the weekend. They have a life. I just never could seem to get it right. And I could never get more than 10 or 12 people in. And I'm like, this is a real slow way to get money. I don't know about this workshop thing. So I said, you know what? 
I'm gonna put something out there. I'm gonna do six weeks and I'm gonna charge a thousand bucks. Man, that woman was a nightmare. I got three people on sales calls that week because nothing else I can get you to book a call. One of them said yes immediately. One said yes, but she couldn't start for a month. Ended up being two months, spoiler alert. And the third said no. The first one that said yes put me in a tailspin because I realized I had no way to send this woman a contract. I had no kind of systems. So I get on the phone with somebody I know and she's like, I'll help you set up Dubsado. She signs me up for a year of it. It's like 300 some bucks. Sets it up. It's so complicated. I don't even know how to use it. I had to pay somebody else to send the invoice, the contract. How about she never paid? Oh, wow. That client. So the second one that said she was going to pay next month, paid two months later. She missed two of the six calls. One week she was at the beach talking about she forgot. We meet at the same time every week, ma'am. What are you talking about? You forgot. <laughs> you forgot on the plane, too? You forgot when you got the email and the text message reminder, too. And I realized my contract didn't have no show fees, didn't have any, anything for this kind of nightmare. And I was like, okay, I see what this is, Natalie. So I realized talking to people, if you're low ticket, you don't get good responses. You will really repel people who want it to work with you because they'll make an assumption about the quality of the program because of the price. Now, there are probably some amazing, incredible, life-changing programs that are under $1,000. They're mispriced, but that doesn't mean they don't have value. But well, and it, people are going to believe that they're high value. Well, it's not necessarily that they're mispriced. It depends on their pricing strategy. Because True. there's a time and a place for every price. Now, some people have no idea and they're entrepreneurs who used to be employees and they're pricing themselves as if they're still an employee, they're charging by the hour. But there are people who have a thousand dollar programs that are transformational that are doing billion dollars a year. So I think it just depends on your strategy. And I always say, and I think this is a perfect place to insert this here. There's three different pricing strategies. You have your low pricing, low pricing only works if you have a volume play, right? I love to use planet fitness. They're $10 a month, I guess. I don't know if they're still $10 a month. They might have raised their prices because of COVID. They're still $10 a month. They're so still $10 they, a month. Yeah, so they can afford to charge you $10 a month because they've got money to advertise. And I used to have a Planet Fitness membership. I had that membership for a year and a half before I canceled it because it was just $10 a month. So they're banking on that, but they have a whole strategy around that low price thing, Right. Then you have high ticket pricing, which is exclusive. It's not for everybody. You're not trying to get everyone to be your client. You're trying to get your idle clients. You can think about cars. You can think about Bentley or Maserati or it's not for everybody. Everybody's not going to be driving one, right? That's an exclusive high end strategy. There are pros and cons to both the low and the high. Like you could be high priced, which means you need less clients to hit your number. Especially if you don't understand how to package you could be over delivering just to justify the price, which is a mindset issue in and of itself. And then you have parity pricing. Parity pricing is where your pricing flip flops based on specific conditions. So if, I like to use Macy's as my example here. Anybody who knows Macy's, and I think they're still a national brand, knows you never pay regular price at Macy's. There's no. always a one day sale and a preview day coming. So that's parity pricing, right? Or in the coaching and online marketing world, it's the tripwire turned into the actual program that's going to be 10K. Like we give you something that's lower ticket to bring you in. And then we've got a clear strategy in place in order to get you to where we want to go. So there are different strategies and they all work. You can get to a million in all of them, but it's going to depend on whether or not you know it. So what I feel like you're saying though, Natalie, is people who charge low ticket by and large, and I would agree with this, they don't know about the volume play. <laughs> well, they don't they know, know that that's what it's for. They, they don't have the volume. <laughs> well, I would go so far as to say they don't know about it. Like they think $1,000 is the most that they can charge based on the way that they see themselves. They don't even understand that because they're looking at the other person who's farther along in the industry than gotcha. them that has a $1,000 program. Gotcha. They don't understand all of the things behind the scenes. And so they're like, right. oh, well, such and such charges $1,000, I'm going to charge $1,000, except such and such has a volume. She's got 35,000 people on her Facebook group, her and she's yeah. got 200,000 people on her list. So when she throws $1,000 out there, she gets 
500 people to raise their hand and now she's sitting on a nice load of cash. So we don't often understand, which is why you said it. Comparison is the thief of joy. It's the thief of joy. It's the thief of profit in this case because you tried to charge. And again, this is looking on other people's paper. I get people in the DMs all the time. Have you heard about this coach? Have you seen what this coach did? Have you this? I never know the names ever, Mm -hmm. ever, ever. I did zero hunting and pecking on the Google before I launched this business. <laughs> on the Google. None. Because I wasn't going to find me. What was the likelihood I was going to find a coach like me with this mouth, with this wit, funny like me? Mm-hmm. Was, it wasn't going to happen. So what am I comparing myself to? People in a different stage of business, a different demographic with a different ICA. And all the time I'm spending digging into their business and financials, I could be working on mine. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're trying to buy a stock, something that's readily transparent, sure, look at all the charts and and do your due diligence, but people are never going to let you see under the hood in their business. Most people ain't putting their profit and loss and balance sheets and cash flow statements out in public purview, and most of us don't even know how to read financial statements. Right, I was about to say. So what are you doing? You're comparing your back-end business with what they're showing you on a sales page. Mm -hmm. You don't have enough data to even compare, but I've learned over and over again When you discount people, when you work for free, when you work for cheap, you harm yourself. Sometimes you need to do it just so you can feel the pain and never, ever do it again. Put your hand on the stove once. I'd have been burnt once or twice. Won't happen again. But the respect that you get when you get on the phone with somebody, when you tell somebody your service is X, whether they pay or not, it makes you feel good. And also... We give people charity when they don't want it. And that's what really makes me angry about the free and the discounted, especially when it comes to people of color, women, when they tell me my people can't afford to pay it. I cater to single parents. I cater to black mothers. They can't afford it. It gets up under my skin because I'm like, you have stereotyped and marginalized and oppressed your own people. You think I need your charity, but what you don't know is I paid five figures before. And unlike you, I've never had a six-figure job. I hired you when I was making $51,000 a year at the bank. Mm -hmm. I made $1,207 every two weeks. Mm -hmm. And that's what I used to pay you with. Mm -hmm. And when I didn't have the money, I put it on a credit card and I made it happen. So this whole people won't pay, people won't invest, people do what they think they need to well, do. Right, to whatever we deem to be important is what and we're I going to invest it's in. It's really yeah. important to get in your orbit. So if that was the fee, then that's the fee. The price is the price. Mm-hmm. I paid the price. I didn't haggle. I didn't want a sales call. I wanted to pay and I paid it even though it was four months of my take-home pay. Yeah, you said to me, I think about you often when I'm talking to people about pricing because you were like, Pam, you was like buying a car. <laughs> I was I mean, like, I never thought of it that way. And as a person who needed a car, <laughs> listen, I was thinking about it. <laughs> listen, I mean, I love everything that you're saying. I especially love what you just said when it comes to pricing. Often we're giving people charity when they didn't ask for it by discounting, right? Like I have people who they ask me all the time and I don't mind that people try it. Cause listen, if I'm at, whatever store I'm trying to see if I can get a discount too. Right. So I get it. But I think asking for a discount on a product is different than asking for a discount on a service. Right. Absolutely. If if I'm at the flea market, I'm in the place where they making deals. Right. Right. So I think a lot of that is a big part of it. But I know personally, I had to get to the point because no one asked me, I guess I gave charity. I will say that I don't know that I intentionally gave charity because I didn't even realize there was anything wrong with my pricing. Mm -hmm. until there wasn't enough money for me to live, like let alone try to have team members. It was just for me to live. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm about to be living in this Chevy Equinox, which was the car that I had when I sent my Mary Kay car back and came back into civilian life. I was like, okay, I can't afford my Mercedes Benz anymore. So I have to get rid of it. And I have a Chevy Equinox because my dad worked at GM and I priced at what I thought it should be. It wasn't until, this was before I even hired coaches I had early, easy pain. Uh, No one told me, like you said, price yourself out of headaches, which I think is great advice. I mean, it's not really sound business advice, 
but it will at least get you to not undercharge yourself if you're thinking about the possibility right. of headaches, right? <laughs> at least, you, what is it, a pain in the butt tax? Right, you yeah. You need some insurance. Let me just put it <laughs> that way. You need some insurance because we price from a best case scenario. Mm-hmm. If everyone shows up, if everyone gets transformation, if I sell all eight spots on a max eight person retreat, if the caterer can actually find food at the rate that we discussed, if the venue is this price, if, if, if best case scenario, then this price works. And then when inflation is 8%, we're screwed. When we only sell six spots instead of eight, that was the profit. The profit was between the sixth person and the right. eighth person, and you couldn't get them. I had a lady who was pricing retreat. I said, retreats are tricky. I said, tell me about your costs. She said, what do you mean? I said, tell me your cost per person. Mm-hmm. She couldn't tell me. She right. didn't know. But yet she had set a price and had a sales page. I said, well, where are you pulling this number from, ma'am? Because you, well, you know, know where she's, she's pulling the number from. <laughs> but you don't know if it's enough or not. You at least need to get a quote, Airbnb, the chef, the venue, right. the coaches, the something. But she was like, oh, this just seems like what people charge for retreats. Oh, okay. So you're mm-hmm. going to be putting the rest of that retreat on your credit card. Well, and that's also like, I love what you said. Don't price by if, but it's also pricing by committee, right? Like whatever mm-hmm. someone else is doing, we shouldn't be pricing by committee either. We have to count the cost. Like, I love that. Like, I strangers. It's like your audience. Right, right. Exactly. No, right. Absolutely. Like, you don't even know where these people are. Like, and honestly, when I go back to my $97 per month or whatever I was charging, it was because I went to three business coaches websites at the time. I took the average of what they all charge. Right. I made the assumption and we all know what assuming does. But I made the assumption that they had all been in business way longer than me. I was just starting. I hate the pricing by I just started my business. I hate when people tell me that. But anyway, back in the day, I was just starting. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to take the average of their three prices. And that's what I'm going to charge, which is pricing by committee as opposed to pricing by if. But I love this analogy because right now there's somebody who's listening that that is the way that they set their prices. Listen to me. I have an amazing pricing calculator. I will give it to you. I will literally give it to you. If you go, I don't have it set up. So you're going to have to go and opt in. And that will tell you if you're, if you're, you've been in your business by yourself, you want to go to the next level. You got to start to hire people. It tells you the next five hires that you need to bring into your business. You fill in your name and your email. After that, you're going to advance to a second screen. That's going to ask you for a few more pieces of information. If you fill that second form in, I will give you my pricing calculator. I will make your life very easy because I will literally tell you what you should be charging based on the service. And the way that I have it set up is the way that we teach our clients. So whether it's a active service, which means that you are showing up and delivering a passive service, meaning you've already done the work and you're just selling the product. Or it's a leverage service, meaning you're working one to many. There's a different calculator for each based on the things you need to have. So when Natalie was just saying a minute ago that her client said didn't even know her price per person, like you have to know what it cost. And then you have to charge more than that. Yes. So if you're taking notes, charge more than it costs, right? That is how you have profit. And I'm shocked at how many people don't want that. They have a gut reaction of, oh, no, I don't want to charge more than it costs. That's taking advantage of people. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, let's go back to this story again. Right. Do you believe that when you charge people a lot of money, you are harming them? And they're like, no. Then why is it when you say you want to help people, the help is free? Right. That's good. Why can't you help people with a $10,000 offer? You've done it. Why can't you help people with a $25,000 offer? Whoever sold you that beautiful car that you were in the first day that you called me, it was so fancy. You couldn't figure out how to start it. (laughs) They helped you. Maybe they should have helped you a little bit more. (laughs) They helped you still. Right. I have a dental implant. It costs me $3,500. But you know what it does? It makes me really confident when I open my mouth and smile. I'm not self-conscious in photos like I have been since I was 14. He definitely helped me. And the root is at some point we have financial trauma. We have a broke mindset, a broke projection. And we project that on other people. We think about a time when we were broke. And that we felt harmed when someone asked us for a lot of money. We think about how we couldn't go to prom or send our child to prom because we were too broke. Or maybe how we had a couple of Christmases where there weren't any toys. And we really have internalized the idea that in certain moments we were harmed. We were embarrassed. We were downtrodden because we didn't have money to do something. And so we don't want other people to feel that way. 
So we start doing things free and cheap to try to shield people from the bad feelings we felt when we needed more money. It gets real deep. That's so and deep, but it's also so good. You. Everybody's right. not you. So I have healed from my financial trauma. I don't think I fell into bankruptcy because I'm a bad person or that I'm bad with money. I think I had a terrible set of circumstances and no cash cushion. Yeah. Those are the two reasons, okay? I also learned that Black people are steered into bankruptcy more often than our white peers. Hmm. News, And then I thought, should it be? Even if we have similar balance sheets, we're typically given advice to file by the same attorneys that might tell other people not to file. Wow, so then I started feeling even more better. I was like, oh, okay, I got tricked into this. No problem. All right, cool. Bet. I didn't get tricked into my bankruptcy. It was the I, only thing to do. I, like, there, like it was the only thing. There was no trickery. And I, I mean, it made bad financial decisions. At yeah, that point in time in my life, I was buying affection. Mm -hmm. okay. So to keep people in my life, I yeah. would pay their electric bill. I would do whatever. Really? Why was I not your friend, Ain't nobody <laughs> ever. But my thing is this. I did everything right. I had a budget. I had a 720 FICO score when I filed bankruptcy. I literally lost my job, had a health scare, couldn't get another job and just didn't have robust savings because I was making $13 an hour. Like I just ran out of money. Yeah. And this is why I like to tell people you need a cushion. If you don't have 10, 20, $30,000 that you can reach down and get, your business is broke. And that's what we don't want to talk about. We like to coddle people and tell them, it's okay if you ain't got no money, girl. You can't pay your taxes. That's fine. Everybody go through a rough patch. Let's stop normalizing this struggle. I have Absolutely. never not been able to pay my taxes. That's not even okay. taxes, just anything. Like, I love what you just said about broke projection. We're projecting mm -hmm. our own broke story onto other people to make us feel better and to try to help them wherever they are. But it's right. none of our business what anybody's story is and what they've been through, right? I love the fact that all those memes that are out there, the price is the price. It costs what it costs. Like, it doesn't matter whether you work with me or you work with someone else. It right. costs what it costs. Like, you cannot create a million-dollar business on a $49 thing. You cannot. And if you are, you need to stop. Like... <laughs> You just need to stop. I'm going to try to be nice because I know this is going to go over to other countries and I want people to keep listening to the podcast. But like, it costs what it costs. And if you want value, like I believe, and I think a lot of people understand that you really do get what you pay for. Like I remember I, I just have so many stories of when I was not priced right, great clients that I didn't close because my pricing was off. And they felt like there's no way I will hire you if that is what it costs. Because how could you possibly like today if, if you were coming to work with me and I was like, oh, yeah, you know what? I could get you on the trajectory first to six figures and then we can get you to seven figures and it's going to be 500 bucks. <laughs> I mean, I would hope that anybody would side eye me massively and run. I in the hire direction. You. Right. I exactly. It's you like the coaches I hire. I wouldn't hire them if it didn't cost something substantial that's going to create a return on that and investment. It sets an anchor. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times with pricing, tell you what people do wrong and what you have done well and what I'm doing well. You start when people are new, they anchor to a low number. You anchor to $97 because you were thinking about your $70 an hour at your job. So you were starting with a low number. And so you said, well, 97 is more than 70. Because you were anchored to 70. So anything larger than 70 felt large. But what if you had anchored yourself to $200,000 total annual compensation at your job? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe then your program would have been more expensive from the very beginning because you had anchored to a big, large number. Cartier will do this. Cartier will sell 5,000 watches. They might have a million dollar watch, half a million dollar watch, but that ain't the watch they sell every day. Right. Jay-Z buy that watch. Everybody ain't buying a million dollar watch but they make a million dollar watch and they put it in the case. They put armored guards around it with guns. So you walk into Tiffany store, the Cartier store. I went in Tiffany. I'd never been. They had a brooch, probably six inches in diameter. I'd never seen anything like it. It was a monarch butterfly with expansive wings. It was stunning. And I saw it walking by and I was like, oh my God, I have to go in there. So I go in the store timidly. I know I ain't got no Tiffany money. I can't afford a pen up in here, but I had to see what was sparkling from afar. Mm -hmm. And I go look 
hands behind my back. I didn't want to touch anything. And she was like, would you like to see our whatever, whatever brooch? And I was like, oh, no, ma'am, I won't. And she said, well, let me at least tell you about it. It has a beautiful plaque. And she started reading. And it, mm-hmm. how much is this brooch? It was like three, four hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. for a brooch. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to tell you by comparison, the pen and stuff, a thousand dollars fine. It started looking real cheap. I ain't going to lie to you. I almost maxed out a credit card buying something completely unnecessary in Tiffany because I thought I can't buy that, but maybe I could afford a little $2,000 something. Maybe I can't buy because I had anchored on that big number. Mm-hmm. If you anchor to a small number, to a small problem, to a small budget, then that's what you will get. And that's what your clients will do too. You want to get your clients anchored to a big number, maybe like the expensiveness of their problem. Mm -hmm. I've seen this in applications. How expensive is the problem you'd like for me to solve today? Mm -hmm. And the lowest range might be a hundred thousand to a quarter million, the Mm -hmm. expense of the problem. So when you get on the sales call and it's $25,000, I mean, you're anchored to this problem is costing me a quarter million a year. So if you really believe that, that this problem is costing you 25K a month, well, then paying 25K to solve it is a no-brainer. That's a simple right. thing. But if they anchored you to something low, if they ask you, what is your current net salary at your job? Oh, that's just 3000 a month. Right. Well, now your 25K sounds crazy. So I think using some psychology and really anchoring ourselves to the value the true expansiveness of our problems, but that's just not how we were taught. And corporate America does a terrible job. It really burdens and harms intelligent people, brilliant people like me and you, because you didn't make more money if you work better or faster or smarter, if you did a great job or a mediocre job, as long as you did good enough, you got the same amount in your paycheck. And so you got discouraged. At least I know I did. I didn't think there was any merit to doing my work. And so when I got into my own business, I started realizing I could solve people's problems in no time flat. There's a lady who DM'd me who had been working through a problem for nine months. I solved it in an asynchronous DM conversation in 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. She was like, you've been more helpful (laughs) than the last nine, 10 months. You know what I paid? So I charged you what I charged you because I knew I could solve it. As soon as you told me you had this problem, I knew I could solve it. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't... Worried Let me ask about you this. solving it quickly. I was worried about getting the value for what I was solving for her. So let me ask you this, because I think you said a lot again, and I didn't want to stop you because you were just kind of pontificating. And there were some things in there that I agree with. I think there are some things in there that we need to stop doing. Like even as you were telling the story about Tiffany back in the day, at whichever point you went into Tiffany, you telling yourself, I don't have Tiffany money. Those are what I call casual covenants, right? And you will have what you say. It was a formal covenant. No, I mean, (laughs) but here's the thing. Like, if you decided that you wanted that brooch at $300,000, you would have found a way and made a way to get it. And so when we say things like, I can't afford it, we cripple ourselves from the ideation to create whatever it is that we desire. And we don't know any better at that time. So I'm not standing in judgment of you, but for the people that are listening, I wanted to pull on that so that they know, like, The goal is to never out of your mouth say, I can't afford this or I don't have that kind of money. Because the fact of the matter is, if you're listening to this podcast and you are an entrepreneur that solves a real problem, you have money whenever you want it because you can always solve a problem. I love to tell the story about when we were building our home, we needed $50,000 for the deposit on our options. And yeah, the money was in the bank and I could have just went and taken it out. But I said to my husband, let's create the money. And so I came up with something that I could sell that would yield me $50,000. I think I gave myself two weeks to do it. I did it in like seven days because we can always create money, but it doesn't change until we realize that about ourselves. So where I was going with this interjection is all of that and understanding that we really have the power to charge whatever it is that we want to charge on this side of the equation, looking back at the versions of ourselves that undercharged and thought that it was completely okay. It's nice. I'm excited for those of you who are listening because you can hear the progression of how we got to this point. And when you desire to make millions of dollars inside of your company, you're going to have to take the limits off of what it's possible for you to charge and what it's possible for you to earn at any one particular point in time. Like, I remember you had put a post on social media and you were like, what's the most 
cash you had ever made in a day, right? And like yeah. for me, it was $750,000 is the most cash I made in one day to yes, date ma'am. in my business. I'm excitingly waiting for my million dollar day, cash day, because I've done more than a million dollars in sales in a day. But like cash on hand. It's gonna in be a day. in May. May the that's 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 what we're planning for, right? And why is that even possible? Because exposure creates expansion. When you open yourself up to the possibility, when you expose yourself to what you've thought and what you've been taught about money, that it is not the only reality. So I'm gonna take you all the way back to earlier when Natalie said, write the story, disprove the story. So the way you disprove the story is you find real life examples of people who have accomplished what it is that you are endeavoring to do because God is no respecter of persons. And if he can make it happen for them, he will absolutely make it happen for you if you show up fully and take the actions that must be taken. Now, what you can't do is desire, what I can't do is desire to have a million dollar day and put forth no effort in order to create it. Because I can think about a million dollar day all I want. If I don't put a product out on the market that's going to lead me to a million dollars in a day, there's no way that I'm going to make a million dollars in a day. And it doesn't have to be hard, right? 10 people enrolling in a $100,000 program, 50 people enrolling in a $20,000 program. People don't it doesn't have to be hard. People don't see, I've hosted so many rooms. I've done so many lives and that you've stumbled upon the root issue right there. Most people do not believe they have a talent, a skill or a gift that has the value of $100,000. Yeah. They do not believe that fully. I did not believe that until I met you. And so that's when they start doing what I raggedy business math. (laughs) How many $97 can get me to six figures? How many $47, how many $27? That wide business model, they got a $3 opt-in, a $27 ebook, a $97 self-paced course. They got a $497, a $997, a $1997. By the time you ever get to anything resembling 10K, people burn out. People they done tired. Been through a, they a real Rube tired. Goldberg right. machine. They done been through tripwires <laughs> and traps. They done got lost on the sales page. It's three CTAs, ma'am. What do you sell? <laughs> what is this? And what people don't realize, some people are ready to buy. See, mm-hmm. again, we've conditioned ourselves that sales has to be hard. When I meet women, I suck at sales. I'm terrible at sales. Sales has to be hard. So since we think sales is hard, we think sales is slimy, icky, that it's harmful to ask people for money. We've already stumbled upon that. They believe Mm -hmm. it's harmful to ask people for money. They also believe that the problem they solve is a very small, minor problem. And then they also believe that the value of their offer can't be nearly 100K. So you put all these things together, you get this person on a sales call, you get some real interesting results. You get no offer being made, half an offer, proactive discounts. As one of my services to my top tier clients, I'll get them to send me their sales calls. I wish I could release that as like a movie, as indie <laughs> films. Bloopers. It's, it's, it's really interesting. And you can watch. They're excited. They're talking. They're getting along just like me and you are. And then that light bulb is over their head. Like, I got to ask them for some money. And then they create a diversion is what I call it. Like all of a sudden they need to clear their throats or their kid is calling them or anything. My husband walks in the house, the rain has started, the internet is going out. And if they can get a number out, it's not the number they wanted. The inflection in their voice. And I think to myself, If you don't heal that, I'm really on this mindset kick right now. And this is something I've learned. You've helped me learn this. I'm learning. I'm growing every day. You don't have to make your offer more and more and more complex. You don't have to keep doing more and more and more and adding and amending. And it it can just be what it is. It should just be what it is. Right. Does that mean that everyone's offer is worth $20,000, $40,000? Maybe they haven't put that value in it. Maybe they need to review and hire you. Okay, fine. But if you've gotten people results, you know you have a process that works. It's working. Right. It doesn't have to be cheap. You can tell people what it is. And I've gotten to a point now where I don't have to beg people to buy. Selling isn't convincing. If you're on the phone convincing people, you're in the wrong part of the buyer journey because I I need you to have go through awareness and consideration and intent by the time we get on the phone. 
I do not want to be on the phone with you as you're just now realizing in your awakening that you have an income plateau and that may be because of your money mindset. I don't have that kind of time to convince you. You need to have been through awareness, consideration, intent, me. That's where I insert myself at the point that you want to hire me. Right. Now the day before that, that's why my close rate is high. And that's why I don't have stress on these calls. And the more I raised the price, the easier it was to sell. And I started thinking to myself, why would I make this hard on myself by lowering the price back down? Right. Absolutely. I mean, you said a lot as per our whole conversation. And I agree. I say all the time, if you have to convince them, you won't close them because the sales is not about convincing. So I think that that's very, very true. And I think also it's the same energy regardless. It's way easier to sell a higher end program than it is to sell a lower. At least that's what's been my experience and the experience of many of my clients. They have that $1,000 thing out there and they cannot get anybody to buy it. They put a $10,000 thing out there and everybody wants it. But it's all mindset. That's the moral to the story, ladies and gentlemen. It's It's all mindset. Mindset Mindset trumps skill set. That's right. And your ability to price yourself Like, even though I will happily give you my pricing calculator, but you're going to manipulate the numbers in there if you haven't done your mindset work to be comfortable with whatever it is that comes out of it. It's not going to serve you. I hate the statistics around small business. The reason why we've gone on this mission to move more companies to the million dollar mark is because, in my opinion, six figures ain't what it used to be. It's not not the same, right? This ain't the 50s where six figures meant you were wealthy, right? Or you were well off if you made six figures in the 50s. Now six figures is like the equivalent to, I call it small business poverty. You cannot live the life you desire on six figures. We start working with people at six figures. So I have clients who are in low six figures right now. My mission is to help them to get their strategy, their sales, their systems and their support to the point where that number can grow quickly so that they can begin the trajectory to scaling their business. Scaling is about multiplication and replication. Most people are trying to scale without knowing and having everything in place. If you try, you will cripple your business. You will experience so much challenge if you do that. So we could keep talking on and on and on and on, Natalie. This has been such a rich conversation. I have so many amazing lessons that I've taken away. And I think that we've given some really powerful nuggets around pricing. Before I ask you our closing questions, I do just want to give you, if there's anything else you want to share specifically around the pricing piece for the people that are listening. I just want to give you the floor and then we'll tie up with our closing questions and then we'll call it an episode. So the floor is yours. I just want people to get outside of their own self for a moment, literally out of your body and like look down on yourself and mentally I can do that. If you can't do that, then imagine And ask yourself if what you're doing is working. Your coach is going to stretch you. Your mindset work is going to stretch you. Your inner critic is going to tell you no one's going to buy from you. Every time you level up, it's going to be an onslaught of negativity. Your brain is going to tell you that what you want is not possible. And while you're building up some mindset, while you're learning to rewrite that story, while you're in therapy, working through things, there's a transition period that's painful. But I need you to remember, if hard work worked, why hasn't it worked yet? You've been doing all the things. You've been serving people. You've been working full time. You've been putting 3% in your 401k. You opened a step. You converted to an escort. You hired somebody. You've done all these things. Why has your income not double, triple, quadruple? It's not because of what you don't know. It's because of what you don't do. Bottom line, you're going to have to get uncomfortable at some point. You're going to have to sell something at a price that makes you go, I don't know who's going to pay it, but I'm going to put it out there and give people the opportunity to say yay or nay. Let the market decide if you are going to be able to sell at this price point instead of letting your fear decide if you are going to earn money. I have done fear based offers. This is what I think people will buy. And then those same people who claim they didn't have any money paid in full. Same people. Said they didn't have no money, whipped out a credit card, paid in full, had me looking like a dummy because I done set up payment plans and all kind of old secondary options. 
They ain't need them. I'm like, well, really? I want you to think about a time that you spent a crazy amount of money. It was scary at the time. And I want you to remember how it paid off. Mm -hmm. I want you to remind yourself of an investment that worked and convince yourself that it's safe for you to have money and you are a good judge of character. You do have discernment. You are a strong learner. You are intelligent. And the path you're on is the right one. Because the devil is coming for you. You raise your price and the devil is going to come out. He is going to get in your mind. He's going to put a nymph in your shoulder. And he's going to tell you you're crazy. You listen to these women on this podcast. Now you big and bad and think you can sell something for $10,000. It ain't happening, player. Drop that back <laughs> down to $19.99. Don't listen. Let the market tell you whether you should get that 10 k today. Don't not get it because of your own fear. That's good. That's so good. That's where I'm at. The only thing I will add to that is it's not going to be the devil. It's going to be you. Well, that's what folks like. It's easier. Right. To blame it's easier devil. to blame the devil. Right. But it ain't the and devil. Here is this. If they blame the devil, as long as they still listen to do the work, that's fine. I don't right. care who they blame the negative voice on. Right. 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 That's so good. So many <laughs> powerful nuggets. All right, Natalie. So before I let you go, I always have my three closing questions that I like to ask. The first is what is the last book you read? Atomic Habits. Hmm. Okay, that's a good one. I read it twice a year or so to refresh myself. Okay. And then what is your favorite quote? <laughs> I don't know who said it first, but my daddy definitely said it the best. If you hang around four broke people, you sure to be the fifth. That's good. <laughs> that's good. And then the it's last true. is, it is true. What is one tool you swear by? as you continue to make the move to millions? I have started using Trello. It is the only project management something that has ever made sense to me. Hmm. And I am excited to start onboarding all of my new clients with using it where they can have their invoice and links and call replays and everything in one unified place. I think that will be better for the onboarding, better client experience, better for me. So praying for a good outcome. But so far, really enjoying Trello. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, there you have it, good people. I hope this conversation was spirited for you. It, I'm sure it brought up some emotion, but I also hope that it's had you actually questioning some of the stories that you've been telling yourself. So until we meet again, know that you are deserving of having more money than you can give, spend, invest, or save. We'll see you next time. Take care. Okay, so if you have any edges left at all, what did you think, right? Was it not a powerful conversation? I knew that you were really going to enjoy this, especially if you've been struggling with your pricing. We got into quite a few things that gave you some hidden nuggets around pricing strategy and the way that you need to look at your pricing, right? So whether you're thinking about pricing yourself low, if you don't have a volume place, skip the low and move right into the high exclusive pricing. You need less clients to get you to that first or next milestone that is gonna make the difference for you. And here's the thing, as we said multiple times throughout the various stories that she and I both shared, it is all about the way you see yourself. And if you can detach from the need to please other people as it pertains to yourself and money, then you can charge more. I wanna just pull on some of the other things she said because it was just such a great conversation. Work does not equal wealth. You will not work yourself into wealth. You have to detach how you feel about yourself from what others think about you. I love this one. Low ticket repels ideal clients. And you need to stop giving people charity when they didn't ask for it. That's what happens when your prices are too low. And I love this one too. Don't price yourself by if. Oh, that is not a good pricing strategy to have. And so I love also as she broke down how to detach, right? Two basic steps there. What is the story that you believe? And then how can you disprove that story? So many powerful nuggets in here so that you do not set yourself on a low ticket anchor and use that anchor to set your pricing and instead actually open yourself up to create an environment for people to understand the transformation and the value that you have. If you do set yourself on a low anchor, then you will be projecting your broke 
on them. Oh, that's so good. So, so, so good. I hope you listen to this episode over and over and over and over and over and over and over to hear the nuggets that were shared in between the stories. If you enjoyed our conversation and you want to connect directly with Natalie, check out the show notes for a link to her website and everything that she's got going on because this conversation has the potential to really shift you on a trajectory to go to the next level. You're in the right camp if you finally want to do the mindset work that's going to allow you to price yourself for profit and ultimately to make, move, and leave millions to those that you who are going to be here when your sun sets. Keep hanging out with me. I promise you I'm taking you somewhere really incredible. I'll see you guys next time. Take care. Thank you for joining me for the Move to Millions podcast. The way I see it, you deserve a business that generates millions. If you're ready to get started, grab our Move to Millions quick start guide and join our online community at movetomillionsgroup.com. If you enjoyed our time together, do yourself a favor, head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Until next time, remember, millions are your birthright. And to access them, all you have to do is move. I'll see you next time. Take care.